Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about um, law, grace, and freedom for the New Covenant Christian. To actually say New Covenant Christian is a bit like saying underwater submarine, the tautology, you know. But, but sometimes when people start calling things in the desert a submarine, then you need to actually say, actually, it's an underwater submarine, you know, if it makes sense. Because um, a lot of things are called Christian, and a lot of things are called Christian freedom, and they're not. And, and so we have to link it together. And this is something that can be misunderstood, um, because sometimes we think, well, are we under the law or not under the law? Did Jesus go to the cross so I don't have to do anything? Can I do anything and I still get all the blessing? How does this all fit together? And there can sometimes be a bit of confusion. And, and if there's a bit of confusion, there's insecurity. You can't just be free and walk in that freedom. And as I was praying for this, I just had a picture of like, all of us, we, we need to get this a bit better. I need to get this a bit better. You know, it's so blessed teaching this. It's like preparing the sermon is like having a quiet time. You know, even though you might have seen my Facebook post, like I said, it's like being chained, I have to chain myself to the desk. It's actually, it just becomes like a washing. And, and it's amazing. That's why I love going in depth and, and I just get, get it. And as it touches me, I know it's going to touch people. And I was just thinking, I was, and there was like a picture of, sometimes we're in the new covenant, but we still have the old covenant covering us. And other pictures like people with um, cloth over their face and you're struggling to breathe, or it's like trying to work things out and it's still in the dark a bit, or you're trying to climb something and you still got chains, and God wants us to come to complete freedom. Um, so let's pray. Thank you, Father, for just all the songs we were singing, and your name, Jesus, it was about your name, and that's just the center of this message. It's about your name. It's not about Moses' name. It's not about the Lord. It's about your name, Jesus and what you've done. So I pray, Lord, that as we go through all these scriptures, that, that it will be like the sword of the Spirit, and it will just break every chain. It will be like the sword that, that cuts that veil open. And it says your word is a lamp, that your lamp would shine brightly, like someone said, floodlights, and that we could know this and walk in complete freedom. Let's go to the next slide. So the question is, like, why is there law and grace, why do we, what are these terms and why do we have them? Okay, let's go to the next slide. So, it's quite clear. Hebrews 12 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. So God is holy. He's made us in His image to have a relationship with Him, to be His image bearer, to represent Him, to be like Him in this world. And we can't be like Him unless we are like Him. And, and we've had sin, and we've gone astray, and we've become corrupted. And that's why God has done this work of law and grace to restore his original purpose. And some people will say, that's okay for you, but I will just choose not to be a Christian, not to be a part of it. But that doesn't work. Let's just go to the next slide. Because God has a purpose. This is where it ends. He made us for him. And if we read here in Revelation 21... I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's us. And, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will be all in all. You don't have a choice. Heaven is not a place floating away somewhere like disembodied spirits. There is a new heaven and earth, and God is going to come and be with us. And that is the wedding day. And life follows that. There's going to be so much life. We don't have a choice. And who gets into heaven? I heard Dallas Willard say, who can get into heaven? He said, anyone who can stand it. It's not that God's sending people to hell in that. It's he's a consuming fire. He's holy. And we need to be like him to be able to stand in his presence. It's like I'm inviting you all to go climbing Mount Everest. But you've got to get fit. <laughs> and that's what law and grace, where it's going, what, what, what's happening here. Let's go to the next slide. So let's just quickly understand some of the key concepts. So there's the word law, there's the word lawlessness, and there's the word grace. So law in the, Greek, in the Hebrew is Torah, and it means to throw out or to point. And it's saying, this is who God is like, that's what you have to do. That's where the word comes from. And the, the New Testament word is nomos. Which, which is what law means in the, the word for law. And there's also a word lawlessness. 
which is important. We'll come back to that. And grace, charis, that is just like it means favor, like, like you just are positive and kind and happy towards someone. And that was a Greek word. And then when it got taken up by the, the, the New Testament writers, it got extra meaning of a gift. So God is, grace just means God's favor and blessing and gifts which we don't deserve, which are kind of guaranteed. And so we kind of think, okay, so is law completely finished and we just have grace? How does it work? How do these things fit together? Let's go to the next slide. So there are some deadly oversimplifications that we talk about. Like sometimes we think, well, the Old Testament is a God of wrath, Old Covenant. New Covenant, New Testament is a God of love. Well, Old Testament is all about laws and rules, and the New Testament is just about life and love. And we separate these things, and we get into trouble. Um, and the world does it. We know that. Like in today's movements, we say love is love. You've heard that. As long as it's love, there's no rules. That's not, not going to work. And the Beatles sang the song, All You Need Is Love. <laughs> well, yes and no. <laughs> what does this mean? So let's explore a bit, a, a, a bit more. Next slide. So it has always been by a promise and by grace. If you read the Old Testament properly, it is full of grace. It is grace. And next slide. There are five covenants basically in the Old Testament. And what God does with Adam and Eve is kind of like a covenant as well. And if we go to creation, it's grace. Creation is a gift of God, a freely given gift. And we soon get into trouble, and the wickedness caused the flood and the destruction of all people. And God says, okay, they're so wicked, I'm destroying them. I'm going to start again. And that would have been the pattern again and again and again if God had not said, I need to give them some grace. They're not going to make it. And he said to Noah, okay, after the flood, he says, that rainbow is a sign of my covenant. I will never again wipe out everyone. Not because things changed, not because the behavior could not deserve that again, but by God's grace. And he says, even though every inclination from birth is evil, I put this guarantee, you're never going to be wiped out. And we can just rest on that. And then God moves his whole creation and all his people more and more, further and further, into increasing grace. And so Abraham, you know God gave this covenant to Abraham. He called him and he says, I, he chose Abraham, I will bless you. I'll make you a great name. I will give you a land. I will bless all the people of the earth through you. Abraham didn't deserve anything. And then the law was given through Moses in the Exodus, the, the Ten Commandments and, and all those laws, many, many laws. And then we see David. There was another covenant that David, he promised to David, you will never cease to have someone from your family line on the throne. And if he had not made that promise of grace, the family line would not have lasted because Saul was from another family line. He was from another bloodline, and he blew it. And the kingdom was ripped out of his family line and given to David's kingdom, David's family line. And if we look at Solomon... He blew it. He had 500 wives. Talk about a sex addict. And, and, and he eventually blew it, and he started worshiping his wives, his wives' gods. And that kingdom should have been taken out, but the covenant of grace. God put that backstop. And then we come to the new covenant. This is promised in Jeremiah. We're going to look at that. And Luke, in, is in, the, at the, in Jesus is saying at the Last Supper, and he's breaking bread, which we did today. And then he gave the cup and he says, this is the new covenant of my blood. And we're in that. What does this mean for us? So let's go to the next slide. Just look at the order of the, of the covenant. It was Abraham's covenant then Moses. Let's read these scriptures. In Galatians 3, it says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. And later on it says, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. It has always been by promise. It has always been by grace. The whole Old Testament, every single rule and law 
interpreted properly is love and grace. And I had a picture. It's like a cost. It's like I imagine God speaking to Adam, and he says, I've given you a great pair of legs. You're going to run on the mountains. You're going to walk on the heights and run and leap. And then sin comes, and Adam breaks his leg through his own foolishness and sin. And, and it's like, what's to be done? And God puts that in a cost. And that cost is like the old covenant. It's the law. It's temporary. It's to actually just keep them safe. And the cost is going to come off again when the time is right, and they're going to run, and it's going to be promised. But what happened? People fell in love with the cost. They thought it was all about the cost. And they didn't want the cost to come off. And when Jesus came, they said, no, we like the cost. And that's what Jesus said, isn't it? Um, you can't put the new wine in old wineskins, and it must come off. But people love, they prefer the old wine. They like what they know. And so if you leave that cast on, it withers. But the, the, the law was not there to replace the promise, not at all. So let's go to the next slide. So what a challenging birth it was. What an incredibly challenging birth. When Jesus came to bring the new covenant, it was viciously attacked and challenged. It didn't come in easily. It was like a breach birth. And it was... It was so hard, and they opposed it. And if you read these books, these three books of them, where you mainly, it's all these books are about this. It's about trying to convince people to move from the old to the new. In Hebrews, he's writing to the Jews and saying, Jesus is better. Let go of the old covenant. In Galatians, it was written to, in Galatia, in the non-Jewish area, they'd received, and then the Jews from Jerusalem had gone and said, no, you must also be circumcised. And Paul, the whole book is saying, no. You can't. You've got to move into the new covenant. You've got to take that cast off. And the whole book of Romans, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles in Rome. And he's trying to say to the Jews, just because you had the covenant, you does not mean that you don't need grace. And you don't have an advantage actually over the Gentiles. So, there was spiritual warfare in this. There's always been spiritual warfare around the new covenant and around God's grace, and around the name of Jesus. So there's spiritual warfare for us today. The devil does not want us to understand the new covenant of grace and move fully into it. And he'll take anything he can to keep any vestige of law or lawlessness on you. So it remains a challenging transition for every single one of us. And what I'm saying is don't miss it. Don't miss the whole teaching because... The essence of law is not religion or grimness. Just because we are not getting circumcised and keeping Jewish festivals, though some Christians want to go back there, um, you think, well, this is irrelevant to me because I'm not religious about it. But you can be religious in a non-religious way. You can say, I always say, in Jesus' name, I have to always say that. You're in religion. You can turn the name of Jesus into a slogan, a technique. You're in religion. And it's not just about being grim. Like we think of, of law as like religion and grimness. You know, the Pharisees and looking grim like Roseanne thought I looked, you know. Um, and, <laughs> and it's not. You can have like rainbows on your wall and, and positive promises and pictures of bright things. And it's law because it's in your own effort. So this is relevant. Don't like switch off because you think, oh, I, I've never wanted to be circumcised. I'm totally not interested in any of those festivals. But are you free? Are you feeling the fullness? Then it's still relevant for us. So there's spiritual warfare. So next slide. So we have a question. Like what changes? What stays the same? Which of those laws are we, have, have are they all gone? Is it all just about love and Jesus went to the cross so I don't have to suffer? Does, did, did what Jesus did, did guarantee full blessing for me, irrespective of how I behave? How does this thing work? And it can be confusing. So let's quickly, next slide, unpack that Old Testament law. Let's just unpack it. There were three sections to it. There was the moral law, the Ten Commandments, which is kind of universal law. You know, don't murder, don't steal, etc., there were ceremonial laws, all those rituals, the cleansing, the sacrifice, all of that to make people 
able to stand in God's presence and not be destroyed because of their sin. And then there was the civil or political law, all the rules. You know, what do you do when your neighbor's cat eats your budgie? And then who pays how much, you know? And you must make sure that when you build a house, you build a, a balustrade so that no one falls off and you don't get sued. You know, it's that kind of stuff. So now what happens to all of this in the new covenants? And that's what we're going to look at. Now, please don't get scared. As I was meditating on this, I thought of six lenses for helping to understand the nature of law and see through these lenses what happens in the new covenant. And then how is that relevant for us so that we can walk in that fullness now, today? And I thought, what happens to the content of the Old Testament law in the new covenant? What's the location? Is there a change? What's the outcome? What's the nature of it? What are the source and order of events? What's the motive and motivation? You're going to have to do some hard work here. Please persevere. <laughs> At the end, there'll be a payoff, I promise you. So we're going to unpack each of these things. Let's first look at the content. This is the mystery. In the old covenant, there is a less pure content with a lower demand and a heavier burden. In the new covenant, there's a purer content. There's actually a higher demand, but there's a lighter burden. And that's the paradox. And it's not understanding this paradox. We think old is hard, new is easy. No, that's not how it works. And let's go to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to get this clear. Now, the Sermon on the Mount 5 to 7 is so intense that people have argued, theologians, he couldn't have been talking about Christians today. This must be kind of a promise. And others say, no, it's for today. And then, you know, legalists say it's for today. And Grace says, no, it's for, for the future. And he meant every word, if we understand it. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we just take the scripture without seeing it in context, we're going to feel condemned. We're going to feel, but wait a minute. So aren't we back in the law? What does this mean? Like he's messing with my mind now. Because I thought, wait a minute, it's grace and we're freed. And no. But now Jesus is putting a word that sounds just like it's going back to the law. Why does this fit? And, and he expands this. He says, he, he, he expands it. He says, let's take murder. You've heard, do not murder. And it says, that was what the law said. So if they didn't murder, the Pharisees kept the law. They felt righteous. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what it really means. If you look at some, if, you, if you're angry with someone and call someone a fool, you're a murderer. That's what it means. And he says, do not commit adultery. You've heard it said. They had a correct interpretation of the law. But I'm telling you, if you look lustfully, you've committed adultery. Whoa, the bar's getting higher. And then he says, you've heard um, you can get a certificate of divorce. But I'm telling you, unless you divorce because of unfaithfulness, where there's been adultery that has broken the covenant, you can't get divorced. You guys are using Moses' certificate of divorce as an excuse. And he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. If someone accuses you, if someone exploits you, be exploited. Go two miles with them. If the Romans come and say, carry my pack, go an extra mile with them. And you've heard, love your enemies, um, hate your enemies, love your neighbor, love your family, and hate your enemies. And if they did it, they were kind of keeping the law. you know. But he says, wait a minute, love your enemies. And he says, whoa, what does this mean? And I had the picture of, it's like, Old Testament is like climbing Signal Hill, and the New Testament is like climbing Table Mountain, or even Mount Everest, but let's keep it with two mountains we know. So it's much harder, but it's actually easier, because in the Old Covenant, you're climbing Signal Hill, but you're barefoot. You're on your own, in your underwear. <laughs> it's not easy. In the New Covenant, you're climbing Table Mountain, but you're climbing in the company of the Trinity. You're climbing with the church. 
you've got the best hiking equipment. God's giving you a compass. You've got a backpack full of water. It's easier. It's harder, but it's easier. And this helps us to clarify so that we don't get confused. Let's go to the next one, the location. Next slide. The old covenant is external, and it's opposed to us. The new covenant is internal, and it's empowering us. And in Deuteronomy 27, God said, when you enter the promised land, take huge stones, plaster them, and write the law. And in fact, that's what Joshua did. In Joshua 8, when he got in there, they raised up these stones, and the law was there. So whenever they walked, there was the stones, there was the law. And it was outside of them. And the old covenant says, now take the law, put it on your doorposts, like summaries of the law. Put it on your head, bind it, bind it on your hands. And the, the thing is, it was, like, it was like me trying to play basketball. Like, it's outside of me. I'm trying to reach up there. Or, you know, you know that thing on the shelf, and you, there's no ladder. Jesus is the ladder, the cross. And, oh, and even if you manage to get off, it falls on your head, you know. And it's, it's so, that's what's, what's happening. And in Colossians 2, it says, He has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. And it was like those stones, like you walking and say, Oh, I hope I kept all the laws there. I hope they don't fall on me. That's what it was. That's what law is like. And that's what any of our laws, whether it's positive thinking or techniques, are like. They're outside of us. They, they're threatening. And, he, and he, he, he destroyed it. I had the picture of like, the law is like the Berlin Wall. It's like an obstacle between us and God. And the Berlin Wall came down. And the, the way was opened. And there's an interesting thing in Acts. When the first um, non-Jews came in, the Cornelius, Peter went in and they got the Holy Spirit. They were mad. The, the, the religious Jews were mad. They, they were following Jesus, but they were also following the law. They hadn't made that transition. And they said, okay, but they must be circumcised. And that's where the trouble started. And Peter stood up in Acts and he says, listen, why are you putting a burden on these people that neither we nor our forefathers have ever been able to keep? And that's why circumcision was such a big thing. So, it goes inside. And we can see this so clearly in Jeremiah in the next slide. This is the new covenant that was promised. The days are coming. Jeremiah prophesied this, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. There was all the relationship, everything, but they couldn't. It was outside declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. No more stones, no more high priests between you and God. It's gone inside. And now which was something outside condemning you is inside empowering you. There's a complete shift. And this was prophesied in Ezekiel as well. Ezekiel 11.36. Ezekiel prophesies. Says, God says, I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give an undivided heart. I will take out your heart of stone. And I will give you a new heart. And that heart of stone is what stopped us being able to ever keep the law and the righteous requirements. And that's what it is about. And in, in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will move you. To follow my laws from inside. This could not happen before because our sin kept us. Only when Jesus came did it become possible. Let's go to the next slide and look at the third thing, the outcomes. Well, this is the outcome, the result of the old covenant. It's doomed to inconsistency and failure. And all your positive thinking and techniques and New Year's resolution are doomed. Doomed inconsistency and failure the new covenant is destined for consistency and success in the old covenant people sometimes shone but then they would always fall down in the new covenant sometimes we fall but we'll always be raised up it's reversed it's completely reversed the whole old testament is a story of failure it ends in failure and the last word has been said 
and it didn't work. And there's 400 years of silence until Jesus comes with a new covenant. Moses, the great Moses, God said there's no one more humble. He couldn't enter because he represents the law. He could not enter. And who took them in? Joshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus. And, and the whole Old Testament is teaching us this. So we're going to read some scriptures here, just quickly going through, to show this. This is what the New Testament says. All who rely on the works of the law. And now when you hear that, also think of all my resolutions, all my promises, all my efforts are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You want to go that way? You've got to keep everything, every single thing, perfectly. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who has hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham before the, the Mosaic Covenant might come to Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Two more scriptures I'm going to read. Next slide. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law, law does not disappear. It's a different kind of law. The law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death, the law of human effort. For what the law was powerless, what every resolution and good intention was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened by that, stone, that heart of stone until God changes it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. It's not lawlessness. It's, 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 it's climbing Table Mountain. It's a greater thing, but it's easier because it's met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And the last scripture, next slide. Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible for your human efforts to change you. Impossible. Romans 3. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. No one's resolutions have ever really brought in the kingdom in their lives. They've just shown you how weak you are. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. If they read the law properly, they would have seen grace on every page and recognized, hey, there's a new thing coming. This cost is temporary. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And I've had this picture. The law is like paying interest. You're servicing your interest. It's just covering the sins. It's not getting you out of debt. It's just keeping your head above water. You're just not drowning. That's the best it can do. Let's go to the next, the fourth point, the nature. What's the nature of the Old Covenant compared to the New Covenant? The Old Covenant is impersonal. There's a priest between you and God. The New is personal. That Jeremiah scripture says, no longer will anyone say no to the Lord. They will all know me. We don't do away with with teachers and pastors. and that. I mean, they're there to connect, to help you connect. They're not there between you as a priest. It's ritualistic. There are these rules and regulations that you have to follow. And everyone has to follow it the same. And it's very hard with that hard heart to not turn those into ritual. It's almost impossible. We, we can't do it until God does something. In the New Covenant, God does something from the heart. Remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan? She wanted to argue. You Jews say that we worship there, but we Samaritans, we've got an altar there. And it says, listen, the time is coming when no longer will you worship here or there. But the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and truth. That's new covenant. And it's not possible until we get born again, until we receive what Jesus did. And the law is impersonal. It's rigid. The Bible, it's a letter producing death. Have you ever gone to like 
like uh, the bureaucratic thing and saying, it's just closing time. You say, please. And they say, sorry, closed. Sorry, Minya, closed. And, and it's like, and you could be life and death, but it doesn't matter. There's one rule for everyone, you know? And like the, the way the letter kills is like, imagine that you've got to stop at the robot and you've got someone bleeding to death. No, but you've got to stop at the robot. <laughs> and they bleed to death because you've got to stop. There's not that ability. If they read the Old Testament properly, they would see there was, but they couldn't see it. But in the new covenant, in the spirit, it's personal, it's organic, it's spirit giving. That person at the counter now is filled with the spirit and can sense this is genuine. And they can, the person knows, obviously I must go through the robot. It's totally different. And the Pharisees missed it. They shouldn't have missed it because if they read the Old Testament properly, they would have known that there was flexibility, even in the Old Testament, but they didn't. So the woman came for the Sabbath, which is to bring life and rest. The woman who was in, um, who was, who was bent over all these lives, crippled. And they said, you must come on another day, not the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you hypocrites. You strain out a camel. You, you strain out a, a flea and you swallow a camel. Shouldn't this daughter of Abram be healed? That's what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But legalism can't see that. It, that's why it produces death, complete death. Let's quickly read some scriptures on the next slide. That's why there's this contrast. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Because through Christ Jesus, Romans 8, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And Corinthians, now this is talking about how it is. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So let's go to the next, the fifth point. This is so key. This is uh, the heart of it. The source and order of events. In the old covenant, you have human effort. In the new covenant, it's God's power in us and through us and with us. And that's the source. In the old covenant, it's we are the source. And in the new covenant, God is the source. In the old covenant, obedience leads to identity and blessing. In the new covenant, blessing leads to identity and obedience and let's go to the next slide and we can see this so clearly Moses writes about the righteousness as is by the law the person who does these things will live by them what it's saying it's talking about the order it's saying when you do this then you'll have life you'll be blessed in Galatians the law is not based on faith on the contrary it says the person who does these things will live by them. It's talking about the order. That's why in Deuteronomy 28 it says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All His blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. If you do. And there's a list of blessings. And then there's a list of curses. And the scary thing is the list of curses is twice as long. And even as Moses was giving this, it was like someone had marrying people and say, and oh, you live happily ever after. But here's the number of a, here's my card for a divorce lawyer. Because Moses says, yeah, and be blessed and do this. But Moses being, you know what? I know that you're hard on people. If you obeyed the way, you, if you acted the way you did in the desert when I'm w with you, how are you going to be when I'm not there? Moses says this. And he says, you're going to be taken into exile. He knew it. He, he was like, he wasn't a pessimist. He was a realist. And... And in Deuteronomy, it says, carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper. Now we're tempted to say, okay, that didn't work, so no rules, and Jesus went to the cross, so whatever I do, I'm blessed. No. But it's definitely not this. And we have a dilemma. We need to be like God and be obedient to walk in blessing. But we've fallen. How do we do this? And God resolves that dilemma by sending the God-man. Jesus, who's fully God and fully human. And as a human, he fulfilled the law. 
And as he died on the cross, and that blood cannot cover us, that now what couldn't happen in the Old Testament, God could not send the Holy Spirit, because God is holy, could not come and live inside this unclean vessel. And the blood somehow, do you know how, covered us, that now God could move in. And it's a different story. It's completely changed. There is still a link between obedience and blessing in the new covenant. And if we don't understand that, we're in cheap grace. We're in lawlessness. But if we don't understand how it works and the order, we're in law. And we're still in the old covenant, even if we're using Jesus' language and positive confession. So... The law is not done away with. I mean, the, the righteousness. Galatians 6 in the New Testament says, don't be mocked. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap death. So it's not lawlessness, but it's something completely different. Let's go to the next slide. And it says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The blessing comes first. Who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In the Old Testament, cursing would have come, but here Christ dies for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I'm telling you, if we were in the Old Covenant, half of us wouldn't be here. I promise. I wouldn't be here. We'd been struck down with some of those old other Israelites. I'm telling you. I, I wouldn't be here. And how much more shall we be saved? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And there's this verse, Ephesians puts it all together perfectly. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Dead. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us, us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If we stop there, we're in cheap grace. But it carries on. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Here, if we stop here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The link between righteousness and blessing is still there, but the order is completely different. In the Old Testament, you get your act together. You fulfill this law, and you'll be blessed as the people of God. Doomed to failure. In the New Testament, is. I fulfilled it for you. You are already this. Now walk in your true identity. Become what you are. And that's how it works. And, you know, I need a volunteer. Can I have a volunteer? Any volunteer? Just to, on the stage. Thank you, Jeremy. Now, I want you to be, just play dead. Completely dead. Just be dead. Do exactly what a dead person will do. Dead. Okay. And here are the requirements of the law, the righteousness. Okay. Is he fulfilling them? Can he fulfill them? No. I mean, what a dead person doesn't do anything. And you can understand why now sometimes people have said, like in Calvinism, well, it's irresistible grace. God chooses some to be saved because it becomes he's going to be saved, and others who stay dead don't. No, it's not like that. Now, let's imagine that I come to you as Jesus, and I breathe life into you, and you start to come to life, right? Come. And let's imagine you actually decide you'd rather be dead. So just push me away. You know, do you... Okay, he's not going to force you. He's not forcing you. Okay, you've got a choice there. But it's not really your choice because I'm doing everything. The least you're doing is just not resisting. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. So you can choose. And if you choose to come, you can get up. You enter into salvation. But it's not a robot. It's not forced. And that's what it says. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give Jeremy a hand. Thank you. You know? It says people perish, not because God chooses to send them to hell, chooses not to save them. In Thessalonians, it says they perish because they refused to accept. And in, in Romans, it says the Jews who didn't come in, if they don't persist in their unbelief, they will be grafted back in. 
So God's not willing that any should perish. And let's go to the last one, the motivation. In the old covenants, even though there were moments of love like David, for the most part they were trapped in their hard stone heart. And the, the keeping of the law was out of obligation and, and even greed, what you could get out, and ultimately fear. You know, and that's why I became a Christian, out of fear. I didn't want to go to hell. I was a Catholic. I knew about law, and that's why I became a Christian. That's not why I'm a Christian today. Um, I'm a Christian because of the new covenant, love. The motive has changed, and it's, it's, it's so radically different. So let's go to the next slide and, and read what it says. This is where it's about love. It's completely about love. This is the new covenant. There's no debt except love. There's no legal obligation. It's all been destroyed. So let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This is new covenant language. It's not lawlessness. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And later on, just in case you think it's lawlessness, let's behave decently. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is not climbing Table Mountain, but it's easy. It's easy because you're a different person. Next slide. So we have the question still. Let's clarify. I still want to clarify because I find myself bouncing back and forth. Like sometimes I want to take Deuteronomy 28 and say, let's motivate. But then, wait, that's Old Covenant. How does this work? You, you get confused. So what goes through from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant? What gets stopped dead? What's transformed? How does this all fit? I'm just going to run through a few slides just to challenge cheap grace. Lawlessness. The things, hey, New Covenant, there's no commands. It's just life, freedom. Just think good thoughts. Just feel love. No, let's quickly run through these slides. It's very clear. 1 John, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. If you are trapped in law and the veil is still over you, you will read this legalistically. You will zone in on that and saying, hey, if you're a Christian, you've got to behave right. You know, If you don't do right, you're not a Christian. And you're going around saying, who is and isn't a Christian? But what does it start? It says, if you're born of God... While you are still a sinner, dead and dirty, God comes and gives you life. He, he puts his life in you. He puts his seed in you. How can the holy God put his seed in us who are not holy? How can that be? Because of the cross. Because of the blood. That's why. Let's go to the next one. Oh, this is amazing. 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, old covenant, but that he loved us, new covenant, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins while we were still weak and powerless. Dear friends, since God so loved us, since now that is who you are, we also ought also to love one another. You kitted out with the best hiking gear. Come on, let's climb Table Mountain and more. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We don't rely on our own strength, Old Covenant. We rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Amazing. Let's go to the next slide. Just to drive the point home, I'm driving at home because I know this thing is stubborn, like a stubborn stain. That veil is thick. It's canvas. It's not um, crepe paper. There's a word in the New Testament, anomia, um, and it means lawlessness. And when Jesus said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And that is, you doers of anomia. You doers of lawlessness. So there's law. 
But it's a different law in the New Testament. Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Lawlessness. Who, who do this anomia. Again, if we read this out of context, we back in law. We're thinking, oh, I better get my act together. This New Testament's got some heavy warnings. It's never a warning without grace. Next, next slide in Titus. This is the power of grace. Grace is not this weak thing that leaves you rotten. It's not a cast that leaves your leg broken. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You just get that pattern right. Just put away that pattern of, I've got to perform to get identity and blessing. I've received the blessing. This is my identity. Therefore, I happily perform. Not even perform. I happily bear fruit. I happily do just what I naturally do, what I want to do when I get my mind clear. And you go and read all these verses. They'll unlock. You'll see parts that, that when you don't have that, you, you don't read parts and you, you skip over them. But when you have this pattern, then you can see all the parts. Because every part of the pattern is in here. And, and it suddenly starts, the whole scripture starts to open up in quite a, a radical way. Let's do just two more here. Next slide, 1 Corinthians. Again, just to clarify, to be absolutely clear, look at Paul who understood the new covenant. He, he, God used him to write the details of it. He understood it. And he came from the worst legalistic background. He knew. He knew what he was talking about. God was very clever in who he chose. And Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. He's talking about ministry. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. He's been freed from the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Can you see the balance? It's not lawlessness. It's about Christ's law. God's law, which is a beautiful law, which is, a, Jesus said, take my yoke. It's easy. That's the law. That's the new covenant law. It's a law of freedom. It's a law of Christ. It's a law written in our hearts. It's the law that when we obey it, we feel alive. We feel natural. Sin sucks. It doesn't. It's not natural to us. And when we're given, we feel crummy. But when we follow Christ's law through the power of the Spirit, we feel like we've come home. It's not burdensome. And I'm not free from God's law. So as to win those not having the law. One last scripture. John. John. I'm driving this home because I know it's stubborn. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only the one who has let go of the old covenant and has taken hold of the new covenant. Only the one who has let go of that pattern of, I'm going to perform, and then I'll get my identity and my blessing, and has taken the new pattern. I can do nothing, like David in Psalm 51. Nothing I can do. I can bring nothing. Nothing. And I receive by faith. And for, then comes the identity and the blessing. And then there's like, wow, radical performance. And it's not performance, it's bearing fruit, your own fruit that God has given you. So, next slide. I try to summarize it in my own words. Everything that God has for us, grace, life, spirit, power, faith, love, righteousness, adoption, and any other good thing you can think of, are freely given to dead, guilty, powerless people, us. And it's received by faith. And even that is a gift. You know, I, I, I came and lifted Jeremy. He just had to not resist. And confession. We confess that we, we, what we've done and we confess what God has done. And this leads to expanding cycles of radical fruit and good works in the power of the Spirit by grace. And there's two powerful scriptures. And then I'm going to explain the, the transition, what goes through 
and we're coming into land. I'm lying, but we are. Okay. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That's radical. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every element in the, in the Scripture is important. If we just say, just like sin reigns in death, so grace reigns into eternal life. That's cheap grace. You've just said, hey, God's done it, grace, eternal life. If we say righteousness brings eternal life, that's um, legalism. But if we put the two together, we have grace comes first, produces righteousness, producing life. There's still a link between obedience and blessing. And this is the last scripture before I unpack this. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You've been given salvation as a free gift. Now unpack it. It's like you've got this amazing thing delivered by Amazon. You don't leave it on the shelf. Let's get this thing going. Let's see what's in here. This is so exciting. I can't wait to use it. With instruction manuals and everything, and like online service, everything. It's God who works in you, energeo, to will, softening your heart, changing your will, giving your heart of flesh to act, energeo, in order to fulfill his good purpose. God duplicates his power in you. He energizes in you to produce the same character in you. And now it becomes easy. So let's look. Let's tie it all together. So what happens to the old covenants? What happens to the moral law? What happens to the ceremonial law? What happens to the civil law? In terms of these five, six lenses that I thought of, in the content, the location, the outcome, the nature. What happens to the moral law? The Ten Commandments. Okay. Do they go through? Yes, they do. They do. But the content is higher content, like Jesus said. It's not just not committing adultery. It's looking with eyes of honor and being a defender of women and, and looking at them the way God does, with not a hint where is it? It's in us. We fulfill it. It's in us. It's our nature. What's the outcome? We, we're successful. We managed to keep it. What's its nature? It's not legalistic. It's, 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 it's brilliant. It's life-giving. It's organic. What's the source? God does it first, and then we naturally do it. What's our motivation? It's love. What happens to the ceremonial laws? The circumcision, the blood sacrifice, the wave offerings, the Sabbaths. What happens? It stops dead. It's dead stops there at the cross. It's fulfilled in Christ, and Christ is in us. Everything that he fulfilled is in us. And if you do it, you've gone back to the, cover, the law. And the civil law, all that wisdom, we now are free to interpret also with all the right motives, etc. So now we understand it's not lawlessness. It's, it's something completely different. So this is what I wanted us to, to understand. We've got to take our energies to the true battleground. We've got to take our energies to the true battleground. They asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work. That's your work. And it's almost like I feel like God's saying, stop. Don't worry about your sins. Don't worry about all those obligations. We'll get to them. You've got to get this right first. You've got to get this foundation in place. This is your main work, to know what I've done for you. This is your main work. And I had a picture as I was preparing. It was like that river of Ezekiel, you know, um, that comes from the throne, and it went in, and it got ankle deep, and, and then you could swim in it, and went into the, all the earth and brought life. And I kind of saw that river coming from the cross, that cross there, and filling this whole place. And that's like a God's invitation to enter into grace. And if you're outside the river, you're still in the covenant. And if you're ankle deep, you kind of understand some of this, but you want to hold on to your laws and that. And we've got to get to the place where we're not in control, where we carried, where we're fully in grace, where we totally change from the old covenant to the new covenant.
And let's go to the next slide. This is what God is calling us to do. But now, by dying to what once bound us, whether it's law, it's ritual, whether it's your resolutions, whatever is your own effort, we have been released from the law, whatever form. Let the Holy Spirit show you what form law takes in your life. Let the Holy Spirit show you. So that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. It's amazing. Through the law. The law was telling them already, if they read it properly, this is a cost. This is temporary. Pay attention. That's why Jesus said, how slow you are to understand the law. And he opened it up to them. And Hebrews, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. How can you make effort to enter rest? That is what it is. We make an effort to stop the law so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. And I'm going to just drive this home. And we are ending, I promise. There's a word in, in this. In, I'm going to have to drive this home because I know that this is in my heart. And I keep returning to it. And we keep returning to it. It's not easy to get rid of it completely and fully enter. We just catch ourselves. You'll, you'll catch yourself when you lose the joy. That's a sign. When you feel the guilt increasing. And when you start sinning more. It's a sign that you're trying to argue in the law. There's a word in the New Testament, katergeo. And it means to be entirely idle, useless, literally, figuratively, to abolish, to cease, to cumber, to hinder, cumbersome, you know, cumber, to deliver, to destroy, to do away with, to become, make of no, none, no effect, to loose, to bring to nothing, to put away, to vanish, to make void. It's the strongest word there is, to make something kaput, not existent anymore. And I'm going to show you where it exists, that you can get this point, and then we're going to pray. Jesus, it talks about Jesus. The lawless one will be revealed in Thessalonians, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy, katargeo, by the splendor of his coming. Satan is going to be gone. It's a strong word. It's, he's using the strongest word. It's talking about getting rid of Satan. Hebrews, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity. Jesus took on our flesh and blood so that by his death he might break the power, katargeo, him, the devil, who holds the power of death, the devil. It's a strong word. And now look here. But now Ephesians, in Christ Jesus. Sorry, are you following? <laughs> Thanks. I'm beginning to tell you. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away. I, should have, I shouldn't even have to ask, Shavay. So sharp, eh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, that Berlin wall, those stones, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside, katergeo, annihilating in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, making peace. Obviously, he didn't destroy the Ten Commandments. He didn't destroy the righteous requirements. He destroyed the legal system, the ceremonial that human effort system. That's what he destroyed. Let's go to the next slide. Now, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. If you slip back in the slightest way to your own human effort, what this is saying, in the, in the original it says, Christ, in the King James, and following the, the original language, says Christ has become katergeo to you. You have to choose. You have to completely give up the least smidgen of your own effort. And then take Jesus. But if you, he was saying this to the Galatians, if you guys get circumcised, Jesus is katergeo to you. You can't have both. It's Christ or, it's all. You know, it's not Jesus and. There's, there is no choice. And I'm going to pray now for us. Sorry, I've gone over, but I'm just going to... I think this is what God is telling us. Um, he wants us free. He wants us free. He paid a huge price for the new covenant. Huge. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's, it's, there's nothing to be added. On the cross, he said it's finished. It's finished. There's nothing we need to add to it. We don't need to tinker with it. And, we, and he says, come out. Let go of all that is your own effort. 
And so in Colossians it says, When you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by any of these things, by what you eat or drink, with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality I have is found in Christ. Don't let anyone judge you by your body weight. Don't judge yourself. Don't let anyone judge you by how much you got for your last exam. Don't judge yourself. All of this is a shadow. And this is the last scripture. This is the last slide. Sin shall no longer be your master. Romans 6. Because you're not under the law, but under grace. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we, f we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And I think God is saying you no longer regard yourself from a worldly point of view. You no longer look at yourself with your human potential, with your human resources, with the old covenants. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And I just want to pray. And as I was praying and preparing, I just had the thought of just four kind of uh, groups here. And the first is people who are maybe never become Christians. They've, never, they've been to church. They've known religion. But they've never known this. They've never actually given their lives to God. They've never come to the realization that they're in debt and they can't pay their debt. And they need what Jesus did on the cross to, to, to bring them into relationship with God. Is there, if there's anyone like that here, I'd, li I'd like to take the chance to pray with you. We're just going to just close our eyes and let's just give a minute. If anyone is, is in that position, you've never actually entered into the new covenant. You've never actually um, experienced God's forgiveness and new life and relationship. If there's anyone, why don't you put up your hand? Okay, and then the other just three categories I thought of, and I'm going to pray for that, and we'll finish. I felt that there's some categories of folk who feel shame. They feel unworthy, and they just don't feel up to it. They always feel a lack. They don't feel fully accepted by God, and, um, and there's another category of people who are trapped in comparison and performance comparing themselves to others and always feeling less and I felt there's another kind of comparison when you're comparing yourself to your idealized imagined self the kind of people you think you're meant to be and that's another comparison and I think there's another category of people who've been hurt by legalism and in your family maybe there was so much performance and um, you never felt okay you never felt accepted and sometimes it's in the family of God you know you may have been in a church which tried to run it through laws and control and that was hurt um, if you feel that in any of those categories won't you stand and I'm going to pray and we'll finish off don't be ashamed um, if you just feel any of those categories yeah yeah I just want to echo that I know we're slightly over time but um, I was singing the song this morning in the shower <laughs> I'm no longer slave to fear I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I realize why it was resonating with me when you were speaking, Mike. It's because your first place is a child of God. That's the start of our identity. And um, I do believe that this is such an important scripture um, message. I think you've written a course, honestly, and I actually want to pray for you as well. But just stretch your hands out to those that are standing, and maybe you may be sitting, and you know you should be standing. That's okay. The Father sees your heart. Lord, I thank you right now. Father, these are your children. They are sons, 
and their daughters in this house, Lord. And I pray that your freedom will just rest upon them. Lord, let us understand how, what it means to be a child of God, to walk in your freedom, Jesus. And we just pray against any condemnation. That scripture just comes to mind. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Those who are called according to his purpose. And I pray this morning right now that you will be free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And if you need to speak to anybody, please come and speak to us. Um, speak to Mike as well. But I, I want us, I know I'm, I've taken your, down your landing. Is it okay? But I feel like I'm your co-pilot. <laughs> Stretch your hands out to Mike. You know what? Here's a teacher. Here's a teacher gift. And um, this is a picture I saw, Mike. I'm going to just speak this prophetically over you. And I know we've had many coffees to talk about things. But this teaching right now is a teaching that should go to many churches. And I, I see it clearly that God will open up doors for churches that are stuck in legalism, that are stuck in, in a, a, a teaching of law, even in rituals of law. And I just believe, Mike, you, you must expand it more. This is not a, a preach. <laughs> this is actually weeks. I can see it. It's almost like an, an unpacking. You have the ability to unpack the Word of God over time. And that's why I felt this morning as you, I can feel your passion, like you're trying to massage it in. But, you know, some things need to marinate. And, you know, so we're just going to pray right now, Father, open up the doors, Lord. Lord, I pray for favor. God, and I see these churches, and I see these pastors that are calling out for help. And I pray, Father, that you would give Mike right now favor, in, not just in the church, even outside the church. Father, that his wisdom and, that you've given him and the ability to break open your word will be received, Father, beyond this house. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Bless you, man. So... so Maybe I, next time I'm going to give you another preach, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you write the course, <laughs> okay? And then I'll tell you, break it. But but you know what? Let me say this. The fivefold ministry. You guys are sitting here. We need the teachers. We need the prophets. We need the apostles. We need, we need every gift. Otherwise, you don't grow um, the way the Lord wants you to grow. So I'm, I'm blessed by you, Mike. And I know we are blessed as well. Um, may the Lord be with you. May he keep you, and uh, I pray that you have an awesome time with your family today, and take it easy, okay, <laughs> and walk in freedom.